From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Jeffrey Roach. How are you today, Jeff? Hey, doing very well. I'm glad you uh, introduced me on the important disclosure slide. Is that like a sign or something that I need to start reading this? You're the one that's more likely to say something that gets <laughs> us in trouble. So I'm going to match your comments with that disclosure slide. Yes. Uh, very good. <laughs> you walked right into that one. Um, so thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us. It is April 3rd, 2023, as we're recording this uh, Monday afternoon. Here's our agenda for today. Um, the usual market recap. S&P 500 has now uh, risen three consecutive weeks. So we'll look at the S&P 500 chart. Uh, we'll also talk about the latest weekly market commentary that's available on LPL.com. And Jeff, you wrote most of it. It was a team effort between the Jeffs. That's that right. That's right. It. It's who's right, the Fed or the market. We'll, uh, we'll uh, dissect that in the coming moments. That we will. Uh, an interesting discussion, no doubt. I suspect you're going to talk about whether the Fed's going to cut rates this year or not when we get there, but I'll just leave that hanging. Uh, next, April showers may not be in the forecast. So we'll just look at a couple of seasonality uh, studies to uh, make the case that uh, maybe this little run we've had has more legs. Uh, and then finally, week ahead uh, jobs report on Friday when the market will be closed for the holiday and then uh, the ISM. I think probably those are the two potentially most impactful or market-moving reports. But um, if I miss one, uh, Jeff, you will tell me. So uh, starting with the uh, market recap, uh, equities globally, um, the first thing that you'll notice here is what a strong week it was, right? S&P 500 up 3.5% for the week, despite ongoing concerns about bank stress. Uh, we also had a strong uh, week outside the US, uh, particularly in, in Europe, you can see the, um, you know, the Euro stock 600 up over 4%. You know, Jeff, I'll, I'll go to you on this, you know, Europe's market continues to do really, really well. A little bit of this is the dollar, but it's not just currency translation. Uh, have we um, gotten economic news out of Europe that that justifies this strength? Is there is there something going on under the surface, you think? Well, I think some of the numbers may be skewed a little bit with the the base effects. So, you know, relative to where uh, the European markets were, say, uh, you know, two, three, four months ago, relative to the U.S., I think one of the things, though, you, you look at Germany, France, uh, you look at Spain, the more developed side of Europe, and you know, some things have been surprising to the upside, and uh, you know, perhaps we're not going to have that nasty recession that seemed to look all but inevitable uh, when we were, you know, looking and analyzing things just, uh, you know, going into the Q4 of last year. So I think there's a, there's perhaps some, you know, some stability uh, at least starting to emerge out of, out of Europe. So that's good news. Yeah. It's, it's debatable whether the U S market priced in recession, but I think it's less debatable <laughs> that, that Europe did. They, maybe they haven't had one yet, but they they've certainly uh, braced for it over there, and that became consensus certainly uh, late last year. And then falling natural gas prices have allowed that economy to to hang in there really well. Um, I guess you know maybe had less strength in in Asia, 
certainly, um, you know, ongoing U.S.-China tensions that we're going to have to live with for, for quite some time. Um, turning over to the sectors, Jeff, I mean, we had some really big gains in some of the top sectors last week. I mean, 6% plus in energy. You'll see on the next slide that oil was up about 9% uh, last week and is adding quite a bit to those gains today as we're recording this last check, I think. Crude was up about 6% on the news that OPEC plus was cutting production unexpectedly. So, uh, you know, energy led, but we had, um, you know, pretty solid gains from consumer discretionary, from materials, from real estate. You know, tech was a market performer, but still up, uh, you know, over 3%. So really across the board strength here. Uh, I think the only thing that really jumps out as an outlier is if you look at the one month column, you see what's happened to financials, right? Down 9.6% over last month, clearly an outlier. Yeah. With the one thing I'd add too, Jeff, is which is impressive when you think of what, what markets were communicating to us prior to some of the challenges in, in on the West Coast. And that is you go to the six month column right there in the far right, and you see the underperformance on financials being in, you know, high single digits. But Pretty much a lot of these other uh, sectors were in double digits. So some of the challenges that the financial services industry has had, independent of, you know, the Silicon Valley challenge, you know, clearly uh, this, I think this communicates that point that there, there's been some challenges in financials even before the, this mini crisis, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's worth pointing out that even though tech was a market performer last week, the mega cap techs have been uh, supporting this market really all year. Uh, I, I did the math and of the 7.5% gain in the S&P 500 during Q1, that's total return. Over six points was from the mega cap tech names, right? We're talking about, you know, Facebook, Google, Apple, Microsoft. Um, et cetera. I threw Tesla in there. We'll call that a mega cap tech name. You just need the eight, the top eight contributors. They're all tech or tech adjacent. And that was pretty much the entire gain uh, in the first quarter. Now, our technical strategist, Adam Turnquist, tells us that the breadth is okay, right? But uh, certainly the leadership has been in, in mega cap uh, tech land. So turning yeah. to fixed income and commodities, you know, we were just having a discussion at our investment committee meeting about how interest rates are or bonds are tougher competition for equities these days. And so, you know, if you just look at the one month column, the broad bond market benchmarks up two and a half percent. Right. So even though the stock market's done better, uh, you know, if you can get that kind of return in a short period of time from the bond market, it makes the decision between stocks and bonds. Um, a little bit tougher. So um, I also, uh, I mentioned oil. You don't see oil specifically on this table, but energy up 4% last week. That was, you know, oil doing quite a bit better and natural gas doing worse. Uh, it's been a sharp bounce back. Crude oil is over $80 at last check and certainly has, um, you know, people wondering if we're going to get a little bit of an inflation pickup, right? And this is where we get into your world uh, Jeff, as as our chief economist, are we going to get a little bit of inflation if oil keeps moving higher? That's potentially going to tip the Fed maybe toward uh, an extra rate hike. 
well, I think to answer the question, I got to set the stage just a little bit. And that is, you think about, you know, energy and you think uh, what we say is good for an energy sector, a good run, i.e. prices going up, might truly be bad when you're thinking about another part of the uh, the broader equation, right? High energy prices, greater risks of a slowdown uh, in terms of, you know, general activity. So specific to your question, Jeff, about the, you know, the, the oil price uh, question, you know, so we had, you know, a spike in prices. We actually wrote about this uh, for some of our uh, client directed communications. And that is, you know, you, you think about where we are as a services oriented economy now today, the modern economy relative to where we were in previous cycles, previous decades, where we were a little more manufacturing oriented, or at least uh, that was a larger share of the overall economy. So you, you think, okay, eventually, if in the services oriented economy, yes, higher energy prices will still be a problem, but it takes a little bit more time for it to pass through, right? So you're not uh, thinking of the, uh, you know, the the more direct effects and of costs of manufacturing. Now, granted, if you break it down into sectors, certainly the transportation sector is going to feel a little bit more the pinch of higher uh, prices there in the um, crude oil markets. But but it's very possible that this uh, this will be somewhat short lived. OPEC plus hiked. I'm sorry, they they responded uh, to the slowdown in the macro environment by cutting production, hence the spike in prices. But I think it's just an early move toward what we're all forecasting, and that is a global slowdown. So that forecast of a global slowdown, I think, is, is really, you know, that's going to come a little bit later. I don't know if it's going to cause that much uh, of a problem in the very near term uh, when, you know, Fed meets again, uh, inflation uh, pressures still elevated. It's mostly in that services sector, core services, X housing that we'll actually talk about in uh, a few slides from now. Absolutely. Yeah. Inflation is certainly part of our uh, presentation today. So um, let's look at the S&P 500 here. We had uh, a nice breakout above the 50-day moving average. You can see that um, I priced this a few hours ago, so it's off, might be off a little bit, but you know, generally speaking, um, as you break above these moving averages, it tends to be uh, positive technical development. And then you know, I'm also starting to see the slope of these averages tick a little higher. That's certainly um, positive. So um, you know, from just a pure technical perspective, we still like stocks here and we're still, um, you know, recommending overweights to equities relative to target um, in our um, strategic and tactical asset allocation committee. Um, I will say, though, that, you know, breadth, we're getting some questions about breadth because the media is talking about how just, you know, six or eight stocks are driving the market. That's true, but that doesn't mean that, you know, the rest of the stocks aren't participating. They're just not as big a drivers, but collectively, uh, the majority of the S&P 500 uh, is, um, you know, actually above its 50 and 200 day moving averages now. So um, let's turn to the um, main topic for today, Jeff. Who's right? The Fed of the market. This is the weekly market commentary for this week on LPL.com. Uh, you put, used a few charts here. Um, so I'll just turn it over to you to walk through these. Yeah. Yeah. So so thinking about, you know, where we are in the cycle, you know, we really could 
drill into that chart you just showed us just a, a few moments ago with the S&P. And that is, you know, from October, those lows of October, every kind of mini cycle uh, downturn in equity prices, you know, the, you're getting a little bit higher lows, right? The bottoms are getting a little bit uh, better and better. So you're seeing uh, clearly the 15, 50 and 200 day mover drivers moving up. And the point, I think, in all that is to say that, you know, we're, we're expecting the economy to slow further from here. Bottom line is, because of that economic slowdown, we expect inflation to be much better, uh, more, I think, uh, more conducive for, you know, the stock market to respond by that. And, and one of the pieces of the pie that you want to kind of put together here, thinking about where the macro environment is, and that is, you know, look at the labor market. The labor market is going to be and always has been a key uh, component for how the NBER, the National Bureau of Economic Research, looks at business cycles. Clearly, the labor market is one of the driving forces for, you know, growth in real disposable income and purchasing power, ability to spend on the consumer side. And I think the, the key that's that's really kind of emerging with this chart that I show you here, this is from the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, so that we call it the JOLTS Report. Uh, we shorten that up for obvious reasons, not having to say the whole phrase. And the JOLTS Report basically reveals to us that this is, you know, right now in this stage of 2023, moving out of Q1, going into Q2 now, firms are now responding cutting workers, not necessarily just for cost-cutting reasons. That's your orange line. They've been doing that for a long time uh, in this uh, recent post-pandemic economy. But you see the blue line there, and that's that's basically indicating that firms are saying the reason why we're laying off people is because we're actually seeing a slowdown in demand. Uh, and that's, in some ways, this is the kind of thing you want to see for an economy that should expect uh, lower and decelerating rates of inflation. So I'm building the case basically to say, hey, in the overall theme, markets, I think, have it right in that the Fed will cut by the end of the year because the economy is slowing and hence inflation is slowing. So we can go to the next slide. That's just kind of the big takeaway. For those that want to drill in a little bit uh, deeper, you can go to LPL.com, the main page there. And under the press releases, there's a uh, weekly market commentary link. And so you can read all the commentary here. Uh, but but here in the very, very near term, and this is kind of the challenge, Jeff, that policymakers are working through. And that is, you know, we're slowing down as an economy, yet the services side, the sticky side of inflation still seems to be elevated and persisting and frustrating, you know, the markets and the Fed looking at, you know, how uh, the inflation rates are mattering for, matter for the what we call core services X housing. So you think about um, you know financial services, think about transportation services. We just referenced that as it relates to energy prices. Well, the the point is that one of the reasons why services inflation is staying elevated is because there's still this retooling and recalibrating going on between how consumers spend their money. You know, pandemic, it was this shift away from services, a shift toward goods. We're all going on our Amazon apps and, you know, buying stuff. Well, we're we're finally seeing 
maybe you know this this emerging behavioral shift of saying, okay, we, we want less stuff. We want more experiences though. And hence, that's where you're seeing this upward bid on prices for the services side of the economy because everybody's still clamoring to make up for time lost. You know, we've we've bought our things. Now we want our our, our experiences. So this is it, it. We're getting a little bit closer to pre-pandemic norms, but it's going to be a little frustrating from an inflation standpoint, right? If everybody's clamoring for the cruise, or everybody's going to go do their uh, trip to the amusement parks, uh, you know, you can keep with, you know, more and more analogies. The point is that that price action will respond by saying, all right, we got to we got to allocate these scarce resources. Hence, you'll see prices rising as, as more and more people are, are clamoring for that and releasing some of that pent up demand. That's going to show up for a little bit longer. But I think we're we're at the tail end of seeing those core services, X housing inflation being so elevated. Uh, so go to the next slide, and that's a, basically showing you that, you know, it, in in some ways the Fed is getting tighter financial conditions, but just not the way that they expected it to get it, right? The Fed saying, "Hey, we're hiking rates, therefore we're going to see tighter conditions, and therefore we're going to see inflation cool," and it hadn't been happening, and it's been frustrating uh, many portions of, um, of of the markets. Well. We have a mini banking crisis, certainly not widespread, but it was enough of a challenge to actually tighten financial conditions uh, in a way that you know, perhaps might actually finally cool the inflation component. Uh, you know, again, not as the Fed expected. What this chart is basically saying, you know, the the shock to the system that we had in in the fixed income markets a couple weeks ago was really quite historic even when you compare it to the great financial crisis. So that's all this chart is basically revealing to you, is basically saying, you know, you think about this week-to-week change in, in two years, two-year treasuries. And, you know, we clearly remember those days, those that were in the business back in the day, uh, in the 08 kind of great financial crisis era, where there was a lot of volatility, a lot of uncertainty, partially because of, of fundamental cracks in the system. Well, you look at what happened just in the last two weeks. By the way, you see that downward uh, spike there. It, as of today, that has recovered. So uh, don't be misled by this graph. You just can't see the the detail of uh, you know the, the daily detail here. But you, you can see that you know relative to even previous periods of stress, you know the banking crisis in this very. Uh, focused area of the of the financial services sector you saw a pretty uh, extreme move in in yields and that clearly denotes some kind of you know uh cause for concern cause for you know tightening conditions when when we say tightening conditions by the way jeff you know make sure our audience understands this it's very basic in the sense that when you see tighter conditions that just translates to uh a less um, easy money, as it were, and a most likely response by consumers to kind of pull back, retrench, be a little bit more conservative with their spending, and thereby, again, another uh, 
I think, another factor to say that inflation is definitely set to cool. So before we leave this, again, kind of a quick shout out to going to the LPL.com website for more, more detail on this. This is a little bit of a teaser. But I think, you know, where do you put your, your stake in the sand? The point is, by the end of the year, inflation is going to be below 4%. It's going to be, you know, in the mid, maybe the upper threes. Inflation's cooling. The economy's cooling. Certainly going to be good news for markets when we can finally see convincing um, data come out of, of that. And so, so hence, going back to the question at uh, the outset of this little section, we we're saying, okay, you know, who's right? Is the Fed right saying they're going to keep hiking and they're going to keep those rates elevated? Or is the market right? The market's expecting the Fed to cut uh, at least a couple times by the end of this year, 2023. And who's right? My vote? I think the markets are right. And I think, uh, you know, when, when I, as I laid the, the base case here for a slowdown in inflation to cool, I think markets are right. And uh, the Fed's dot plot is perhaps a little bit uh, will become a little bit stale, as it were, uh, with with that uh, that forecast. So there, you, there you have it in terms of um, you know where you, we think uh, you know equities might again you know they they certainly respond favorably when the Fed finally communicates and uh, you know arrives at the end of their rate hiking campaign. Yeah, stocks tend to like the end of a Fed rate hiking campaign, and they also tend to like lower interest rate volatility. So um, we think we're going to get both of those things over the next several months, which keeps us, uh, you know, in the bull camp. We'll call it cautiously constructive bulls, uh, not not table pounding bulls by any stretch, but um, we, we still like stocks here. So um, we're putting your voice to the test here, Jeff. I know you had to talk a lot last week, <laughs> but we'll keep going uh, and uh, explain what what um, our viewers should be looking at here with um, with regard to this inflation heat map. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. And and again, you know, a good point, Jeff. You kind of added to the to the takeaway here. Stocks tend to respond favorably to the end of a rate hiking campaign. And I guess the corollary to that is the the markets definitely respond favorably when there's lower volatility, uh, interest rate volatility. So clearly, you know, a good thing. Um, and and you know, I think you know we've kind of hinted at this. Um, Kind of even more specified line item in inflation, this core services X housing uh, component that's on the bottom line there. And uh, you can see it's just a real simple heat map. You know, if you're reading from left to right, uh, you know, what you want to see is what we're seeing in the first, you know, three or four or five columns uh, or rows here, right? You see dark red in June 22, and you're eventually getting to green in February 23. That's that's what everybody's wanting. And of course, you go farther down in this little matrix and you realize it's not really showing up uh, in every line item. I think what it does visually is it explains you know, to, to our audience here that this is exactly why we talk about how inflation components of rent and housing tends to lag the rest of the economy. Uh, this is this is the case in point, right? You go to the middle of the chart, the uh, rent of primary residence and owner's equivalent rent there. Uh, you know, you, we're going from green to red. Everything else is red to green. Uh, it's just because that that tends to lag. It, this this is no surprise. This actually does this in in previous cycles. So it's not one of those things where we want to say, oh, this time's different. Um, it, this is just normal, and it takes time for uh, the 
the impact of new leases and new uh, rental agreements to kind of start showing up a little bit weaker. And, and we do expect, you know, certainly by the summertime that uh, this uh, in, entire chart will be a, a lot more green, even as you're reading from left to right. So my my takeaway from this is to not get too frustrated if we see, you know, kind of a leveling off of the inflation readings, the year-over-year -year readings, right? Um, kind of a plateau, but eventually the, um, you know, those the, the real-time data we're seeing now will flow through and, um, and we'll get that kind of fall dip uh, to get to that kind of mid threes number that that you alluded to, Jeff. So yep, yep. better inflation days ahead. It's just it's not going to be a straight line down uh, because of these lags. So um, still a positive story for equities. Uh, speaking of positive stories for equities, let's talk a little seasonality. This is a little more than seasonality, I guess, when I get to the next chart. But this is the kind of the basic uh, seasonal chart, Jeff, which just shows you know how, how on average the S and P five hundred is done in each calendar month. Uh, and uh, you see here the batting average for April, 71% over this really long time horizon. And then the average gains one and a half percent. Those rank second, well, second or third, depending on which metric you use. Um, but the point is April is a very good seasonal month. So there's certainly a, we would argue, uh, you know, better than 50-50 chance that, you know, we'll be at a double-digit return by the end of April. Um, so this next slide, because we're already up, you know, 8%, um, give or take, right now. So um, this is even more powerful. This just, it's a simple study, but I'll just, I'll set it up. If you look at down years for stocks, and we had one last year, you can see here 2023, uh, the S&P 500 down, was down 19%, right? After down years, if you have an up first quarter, then you tend to see a gain in April and you tend to see a really solid gain in the subsequent nine months. So, um, I mean, these numbers are really impressive. Now, these studies, you know, you always give the disclaimer, the sample size isn't huge, right? And this could be the first time after 10 that this doesn't work. But we would say more likely than not, uh, this market will go higher between now and, and, and the end of the year. And this is at least one piece of evidence uh, that that's, that's likely to happen. So once you get that up first quarter, we got that this first quarter, right? Up over 7%. The average gain for the rest of the year is 16%. And you're up every single time. So... Um, Boy, there, there are a lot of studies like this, Jeff, that tell us stocks are going higher, but this is about as compelling uh, of a study as I think um, I've seen. Maybe the other one that's really compelling right now is the midterm election year lows tend to be followed by 30% gains. And we've done about half that already. Uh, the batting average for you know one-year gains off of midterm year lows or even off of the midterm election itself is pretty much 100%. So those are compelling studies too, but Boy, it's it's hard to to bet against this, even though um, there are a lot of bears out there. What do you think? Well, you know, it's interesting when you think about the um, you know the the intense uh, challenges in some of those years. Think about twenty 
19, right? The prior calendar year, 2018 was negative, right? As you're showing 2019 is positive. You know, 2019 was a year where the economy was slowing. The Fed actually cut rates, right? And we had challenges on, you know, trade wars and what we were doing, uh, you know, with with some of the, the, the tariff activity. Uh, and so I think that that's, that's kind of compelling when you think, um, comparing those previous years with where we are now, you know, we, we, we certainly have a lot of headwinds, right? Russia, Ukraine is still a challenge. You, you got some other headwinds and, and, uh, 91, by the way, another example where, you know, there's, there's some slowdown in growth activity, uh, maybe coming out of a recession. So it, it's still, you know, it, when you put the numbers in its, uh, macroeconomic context, you can still kind of make the point that this is this is a legit way of looking at some of the numbers and some of the, the upsides, even as we look at 2023 going into Q2 and on forward. Yeah, you you know, we were down 25% at the lows last year, uh, peak to trough. So you could make the case that that priced in a mild recession and we got something close to that maybe last year. And, and now, um, you know, we're in the recovery phase. That that is certainly a a reasonable scenario. So we're not, I mean, we don't want to dismiss the risks here. And a lot of people are pointing out that the S and P five hundred bottoms typically during a recession, right? And then we might get a recession in the next six to twelve months. So therefore, you know, maybe you have to go back to the October lows. Well, not not so sure, not so sure. Maybe the um, you know, maybe. The whatever we were going to get that looked like a recession, or maybe it wasn't a recession, whatever it was, maybe we got it already. And we're just going to muddle through and, and kind of bump along here. Um, yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's, that's what I we, think that makes sense to as a as a scenario. It's not a it's not a tail scenario. I, right. I, I think that's probably as likely as the um, you know, the downside scenario where we just have a recession and stocks drop 25, 30% from here which is the, you know, the historical average drop in a recession. And that, that's what we were talking about in our earlier um, meeting here as a committee. You know, perhaps markets got that head fake, two consecutive quarters, negative growth in 2022, not a recession, but the head fake, as, as I was calling it. And, uh, you know, those October lows were pricing that worst case scenario. And perhaps we're, we're, we might have that slowdown, might have the recession, but it's not the worst case scenario that was already priced in in October. So uh, just to underscore the comments you just made, Jeff. Yep, absolutely. <clears throat> we got a wall of worry, we're climbing. So um, this week it's payrolls week. You know, even though the market's closed on Friday, we're getting that data point, Jeff. That's probably the biggest number of the week. I mean, we already got the ISM. It was good for the folks worried about inflation, but it was not good for those folks looking for growth. What What are your takeaways from the ISM, and then what should we watch for uh, in the uh, in the jobs data this week? Yeah, so I think you know if you could get what you want, uh, we would we would want this um, very predictable slowdown. It's almost like the the predictable recession, as it were. So you know the manufacturing report on business was below fifty. Anything below fifty just means that it's contracting relative to the previous month. I think it's important to remind the listeners on that. That's that's the whole point of that 50 mark, uh, the line in the sand. And so, you know, the decline in 
factory activity is the lowest since May 2020. Uh, again, we're not a manufacturing economy. We're a services-oriented economy. But this does uh, help, I think, build the case that um, you know the, the economy is slowing, somewhat measured, as it were. Uh, and then we'll get uh, the services uh, component on that report on, on business uh, on the 5th. I, we have it highlighted there, ISM services, um, it's a report on business, but it, it's all about Friday's job numbers. So w- w- what we, you know, what we're wishing for, what we we're hoping for is, you know, a, a measured uh, slowdown, uh, a measured decline in, you know, in the job market. You, know, you don't want surprises, right? No one likes surprises, uh, including, you know, markets. They don't like surprises. And so, you know, consensus is still pretty hot above 200,000 expected for the, the month of March. Uh, I'm a little bit on the low end of that. Uh, I think it's going to be even sub 200. We're talking about, you know, a number of survey data that suggests, you know, the the job activity, the hiring activity is slowing and cooling. Uh, so, you know, that's that's exactly what we want to see. We want to see this measured slowdown, but that's going to be the big, big one. I think, you know, there's still a lot of concern on wage pressure, right? That's adding uh, some of the the uh, the upside on inflation. So if you see wages start to cool down, that's going to cool down your your real disposable income from the consumer base. And so those are uh, those are the numbers to look for, uh, and um, we'll we'll see see how that happens. But yeah, you're right. Markets are are mostly uh, equity markets are closed on uh, Friday, Good Friday there, but um, still have economic data. Still still work to be done data coming out. Interesting that um, you think payrolls might come in a little bit light because that has not been the trend, right? We have been surprised uh, several months in a row. Yes. And I I think payrolls have only missed maybe once or twice in the last year. So it's been a pretty steady uh, string of upside surprises. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not challenging on that, but, but I, uh, that that would be a change in what maybe markets and pundits are are, are used to seeing. So we'll yeah. we'll see. It, it, um, still 50-50 on a Fed rate cut or rate hike rather in in May, roughly, um, based on the Fed funds futures, maybe a little bit more in the pro-cut camp. But uh, if we get a soft payroll number, you're certainly going to see that go back down to 50-50 or maybe even less. So um, thanks for walking us through the data for this week, Jeff. Um, and thanks for joining. Uh, certainly we had a lot of economic content, so it was, uh, it was great to have you on. So um, as always, thank, thank you. Thanks, Jeff. So thanks to all our listeners uh, for joining us again on another Market Signals podcast. It's just always fun uh, to do this. Um, everybody join us next week for another edition. We will see you then. Have a great day, everybody. Take care. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally 
regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.